Getter is the new social media platform with the mission of fighting cancel culture, defending free speech, and challenging big tech. Great technology, lively conversation, and an active community have propelled Getter's rise to become the fastest-growing social media platform of all time. Try it yourself at www.getter.com. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics. The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Catherine Eban, who is contributing editor of Vanity Fair and author of Bottle of Lies, the inside story of the generic drug boom. Catherine has also done a lot of reporting this year for Vanity Fair about the pandemic, and she quite recently wrote a a groundbreaking report called The Lab Leak Theory Inside the Fight to Uncover COVID-19's Origins, And we're going to be talking about the latest on that lab leak theory, because, Catherine, as I'm sure you know, it's 90 days since Joe Biden gave the intelligence services 90 days to get their act together and come up with a report on the origins of COVID-19. The report is due today, but it is classified and we are expecting some sort of unclassified report in the next few days. I don't want to ask you to give away any scoops But I wondered if you had any sort of heads up or impression as to what was going to be in that. Are there any particularly juicy details that are going to come out? And if you can't do that, just tell us what your expectations are for what the report might look like. Thanks for having me. Great to be on with you. Thank you for coming. um, You know, first of all, I would say that whatever is in this report, it's groundbreaking in one respect, which is it's going to be the first time that the U.S. government has taken a concerted and unopposed look at the question of COVID origins. The story that I published in June really took readers inside of a dispute within the government in which those who were investigating a lab leak theory were all but blocked from doing so by something that they described as the gain-of-function bureaucracy, which is the sort of scientific machinery inside the government that is committed to investigating pathogens and investing in research that can make them more infectious. There has been a lot of sort of rear guard action by the scientific community to really block or obstruct a level inquiry. So presumably that ends with the declassification of this report. We don't know exactly what it's going to say, although the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, has publicly basically said that it's kind of a draw. You know, it's a a 50-50. Like, we don't know where it came from, and it doesn't seem, from what we've been told, that this report is going to clear that up. But I am right in thinking that there there was a State Department, under Pompeo, there was a State Department investigation that was published in... December, but was sort of dismissed in the scientific community as more Trumpy nonsense, right? And and kind of hysteria and and kind of right wing conspiracy theory, ising. 
Right. So last uh, January, shortly before the Biden administration took over, the State Department issued a sort of advisory basically stating, you know, there is reason to suspect a lab leak. We know that the Chinese military were doing research inside of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We believe that lab researchers there got sick early. And that statement did get sign off from the intelligence community and has not been walked back by the Biden administration. So that was really the last thing that we heard from the U.S. government about, you know, the possibility of a possible lab origin for COVID-19. And, and that's been the, the tragedy, really, of this whole story, isn't it? That, um, or possibly the tragedy, we don't, we don't altogether know, is that any attempt to get to the scientific truth has been scuppered by this sort of yo-yoing around politically. And that's both the fault of President Trump for often sort of gabbing off without really knowing what he was saying or, or out of sync with his own administration, his own intelligence services. But I'd also say, and I wonder if you agree with this, it's also the, the fault of a lot of the bureaucracy, perhaps it's the gain-of-function bureaucracy, I don't know, but who were so keen to dismiss Trump, to distance themselves from Trump, that they said stuff that they couldn't prove either. They said stuff without evidence. They, they dismissed the idea of a lab leak simply because they didn't want to sound as though they were aligning with a president they despised. Yeah, so Donald Trump was without question the worst possible messenger for the question of a lab leak. He also spouted that theory really before his own government had any particular proof, as we understand it, that it could have had a lab origin. That said, there was plenty of well-founded suspicion. There was a lot of smoke coming out of windows about whether the uh, SARS-CoV-2 could have come from, you know, one of two possible laboratories in Wuhan, China. But absolutely, Donald Trump injected politics into this early on. The reaction was devastating. But I have to say, you know, the scientific community is due some blame here as well. It was, you know, absolutely keen to bring the blinds down on the possibility that it could have come from a lab. It basically made, you know, there were unsubstantiated claims made that it could only have had a natural origin. And, you know, when I began my investigation into this, the question that drove me was, well, why are the scientists acting so unscientific? And part of the reason is they had a lot to lose and still do. And you found quite a few scientists who who felt the same as you and were willing to talk to you about it. And indeed, th- these were a lot of the people who were doing the detailed work, the online work, looking into where it might have come from, where it not a, a disease of totally natural origin. Right. And I will say that, you know, as we await the details from this report, one thing is certain, which is, you know, if the lab leak hypothesis sort of survives in this report, it will really be due in large part to sort of a small band of dissenters and scientists who were willing to ask hard questions, even when that invited the scorn of many of their colleagues. I mean, this is obviously going to be an intelligence report, but it will be one that has to be informed by 
science. So it's, a, it's an unusual type of intelligence report because it's talking about a very, very complicated sphere of virology that I you know, imagine quite a lot of spies won't be able to get their head around. I mean, fur cleavage sites and so on. Can you give us a sort of overview of where the debate is? Since actually you wrote your piece, has it changed on the balance of probability between it being a lab-made virus and there being some natural explanation? Well, I think there has been a tremendous change in the sort of public view since we published our story, which is that there are a lot more people and a lot more credible people who are willing to consider a lab leak possibility. Let me just say that, you know, a, a lab leak hypothesis is not a unitary thing, right? So there are, there are a lot of possibilities under that umbrella, you know, that don't even rule out a natural origin, such as viral sample hunters from the lab who would go into bat caves, bring back samples, could have a natural origin, but they may have brought it back to a laboratory and there may have been an incident from there. You know, so it doesn't necessarily mean sort of malign researchers, you know, with the Chinese military cooking up super pathogens in a laboratory. It can mean the collection of a sample from a cave, which may have infected a sample collector or may have been brought back to a lab and infected a researcher, you know, and also lab leak does not mean, you know, toxic liquids pouring out of a pipe. It simply means aerosol release, which is, of course, how SARS-CoV-2 spreads. Well, I mean, I would like to ask you about the the bioweapon idea. I mean, at the moment, it is sort of generously dismissed as a step too far to say it's a bioweapon. But then you do have to remember, a year ago, it was generally considered crazy to suggest this could have come from a lab. And, you know, the facts, as we seem to know them, are there that the Chinese military were working in the lab in Wuhan. Is that not correct? There, there was a military role there. That's a that's a smoking window, as you called it earlier, is it not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, according to the State Department statement of last January, there is intelligence that the Chinese military were in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They were doing research there. Of course, that raises the specter of what's called dual-use research doing scientific research for defensive purposes, but also offensive purposes, which means potentially bioweapons. You know, but there's also the possibility that this isn't just, you know, a BSL-4 lab with the independent oxygen and the space suits, and that's the image that we see all the time. We also know that they were doing some pretty risky research in BSL-2 labs, which is basically like has the safety of a dentist's office, Yeah, you know? So the possibilities really range from, you know, the most kind of frightening visage of Chinese military research cooking up bioweapons to accidental release of a, of a sample gathered from a cave for you know, legitimate research purposes, vaccine development, all of that. I suppose one of the things that shocks people when they've read your stuff and looked into this story is that these centres should have been in urban areas at all. I mean, isn't that very, very strange that you would have them there? Yeah. I mean, you know, this whole model, so the argument of people doing this research is, 
We need to map the natural world. We have to know what's out there. So we're gonna to go to these remote caves. We're gonna collect these samples and we're gonna bring them back to a laboratory and we're going to sequence these samples, right? And find out what's out there. That will help us prevent the next pandemic. Of course, there are people who say, well, wait a second. You know, it's like looking for a gas leak with a lighted match. You're gonna go out to a cave in the middle of nowhere where these viral samples were not necessarily bothering anybody, take them back to these crowded metropolises, put them in, you know, laboratories designed by humans that are prone to error, and God knows what could happen next. So, you know, there are people who are saying that is absolutely insane, and we don't need to have the answer to every question. You know, and, and furthermore, okay, so that research was in place. Did it help us to prevent COVID-19? No. For all we know, it caused COVID-19. So one can definitely argue the merits of this kind of research. I wonder actually where you fall on that debate, because I understand there are arguments for gain of function. But I think for me, and I know a lot of other people fall on the side of nature's got enough ways of killing us. We don't have to try and sort of engineer a few more. I think that you can make a very strong argument for that. You know, I think it's incredibly alarming. But then you look at, I mean, one of the sort of segments of my story was about a mine in Mojang in 2012, where six research, it was an abandoned mine shaft, and these six workers were sent to shovel bat guano. And they got incredibly ill with what, in retrospect, looks like COVID-19 today. They had a terrible respiratory illness. Three of them died. The oldest one died first. But that, that incident was never reported to the World Health Organization. I mean, it should have been global headlines at the time, right? But this whole idea that we have somehow established this early warning apparatus, the apparatus doesn't appear to be working. Um, given that it's not working, is it worth it to be going and getting these pathogens from these faraway places? I don't know. And, and I'm right in thinking that virus is about 96% similar, which, which is a lot, but not all that much in terms of genetic evolution. Right. So that sequence, which is called RATG13. That's the mine sequence. Um, the one that that was yeah. drawn from the mine. And of course, one of the questions is, well, what kind of research were they doing with RATG13? Were they trying to create chimeric viruses out of it? Were they running that through humanized mice? Were they doing a serial passage where they run it through different animals? What did it become? Well, we don't know the answer because the database at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that held all the samples presumably that they were working on was taken offline um, in the fall of 2019. Uh, why? We don't know. And what happened to those sequences? We don't know. Are you surprised that there hasn't been more international pressure on the Chinese to be more transparent? Because we had the WHO tour quite early on that was, I think it's fair to say, a bit of a sham. And then we have a lot of quite curious details around how gain-of-function research was being funded Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that, because there's this interesting question of had the U.S. had had 
other powers effectively outsourced gain of function research to China. Yeah. So I guess, you know, from a scientific point of view, it would make sense for the Wuhan Institute of Virology to be doing some of this research because that essentially is where the bats are. That I mean, well, the bats aren't in Wuhan, but they're 2,000 miles to the south in Yunnan province. So, I mean, it would make sense to do that kind of research there. But if we're going to be funding some of that research, that would mean that we should have full access to what's going on in that laboratory, to the sequences, to the database and all of that. We have not had that. So we've essentially invested in research that remains opaque to us. So how does that help us? I don't know. It doesn't. You know, those are some of the questions that are being raised now, which is why were we giving through an intermediary micro grants to the Wuhan Institute of Virology if we don't even have access to that database? So, you know, the activities at that laboratory remain entirely opaque to us. And as you said, you know, the the World Health Organization sort of inquiry and the team of experts that were dispatched were absolutely engaged in a sham process there, which was all but confirmed by the guy who headed that delegation recently. So is that, yeah, does, it that's is, Dazak, is it that? No, not not Dazak, Embarek, Peter Embarek. Right. Who basically told, I think it was a, a Danish TV crew that, yeah, he sort of cut a deal with the Chinese to be able to leave some information about a lab leak possibility in the report, but to discount it. So there was a sort of deal cut to discount the possibility, the real possibility of a lab leak. So, you know, the world has not seen anything like a candid deep dive into whether the lab leak is a real possibility. Uh, Am I surprised by that? Yeah, I guess I am surprised by that. I mean, Mm. it is a super important question as to where this virus came from, not just because we would want to blame the Chinese, it's because we want to know what to do to prevent something like this in the future, right? So it's one thing if it's because we're encroaching in natural areas where we shouldn't be. It's another thing if we're running dangerous samples through a badly run laboratory, right? Then you'd have to take a different set of steps to protect yourself. So it really matters. The answer to where COVID came from really matters. Well, and it matters politically. I mean, I know we want to try and keep politics out of the science as much as possible. But if this report comes out and it shows that, you know, America, through an intermediary admittedly, but that really doesn't really mean much. It's American money going towards gain of function research in a lab in Wuhan, which is where the military are doing research as well. That's a foreign adversary, really, in, in many ways. That's a very explosive political story. And you know, I wonder what you think, taking your science hat off for a bit, what you think the appropriate response to China should be if they continue to refuse to be transparent. This is a huge crisis, ongoing crisis. Do the international, do the geopolitics have to change? Absolutely. I mean, we will need concerted action by the world to pressure China to be more forthcoming. You know, we need the viral data sequences in that repository. We need the laboratory notebooks. We need the, you know, blood tests, access to the 
scientific samples from the researchers early on, you know, the, the world deserves to know what happened there. Now, you know, should this intelligence report come out and say, definitely a natural origin, you know, lab leak is off the table, that changes things. But I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. I lastly, I'd like to ask you about sort of doing this research, because obviously you've spoken to a lot of scientists, some of them want to remain anonymous. There seems to be a lot of sort of foreign intelligence and even misinformation campaigns going on. How difficult is it to get to the bottom of whether you're talking to someone who doesn't have a political agenda, who's not pushing the agenda of a particular government, given the number of governments involved in in this story? It was extremely challenging reporting. The sort of first mission was to try to strip away the conspiracy theories and the propaganda to try to get down to a sort of ground level what are the really legitimate questions here that deserve to be explored and ex- deserve to be answered? That was really the effort of the reporting. And once I'd sort of determined what those things were, to do a deep dive. Okay, so if we think that there is something that is worth investigating, like what happened in that mine, that abandoned mine shaft? You know, what what sickened those workers? What happened to the sequences that were pulled from that cave? You know, why were they taken offline by the WIV? What are the statements that the laboratory director there has made? Do they hold water based on what else we know? I mean, there are so many complicated questions to mine. So that was really the, you know, reporting effort was to get down to some ground level information there. And was it strange for you to sort of realize in the course of your reporting that a lot of what was dismissed as right wing conspiracy theory had in fact been right quite early on? I mean, people like Steve Bannon, nobody has to be a fan of him. But you know, he was talking about gain of function a long time ago. Do you wonder where he was getting his information? Who was feeding him that information? Yeah, I mean, Steve Bannon, you know, He was not right. I mean, the information that he gave, much of it was false and inflammatory. They proffered experts who were not experts, who didn't have access to real information. You know, the people who had real information were deeply frustrated and had been thwarted inside of the government, you know, and they'd been thwarted in part because there were people like Steve Bannon making claims that sounded a little similar. You know, on closer investigation, they weren't really that similar, but because the Steve Bannons of the world were out there making these outrageous claims, the people who were looking responsibly at those questions couldn't get a hearing. Well, Catherine, I think we'll leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us, and I hope you'll come on again, hopefully when we have some, some more answers. I'd be happy to. Thanks, Catherine.